Why do you look for the living among the dead? Lord, make me an instrument he is of the What is risen? Good morrow, day, or eve, dear parishioners and spiritual sojourners. Welcome to the Back Pew. I'm Dan Prevett. And I'm Colton Simmons. We are so excited to have you joining us for the new season of our podcast, a space to discuss faith and all the journeys people have through it. If you're returning to us after our extended absence, thank you so much for coming back. We had to take a bit of a pause because I was getting married, and it turns out that's a colossal time suck. If you are new to the back pew, we are so stoked that you're checking us out. It probably means you're either stumbling into faith or wandering out. Either way, you're probably thinking, what the hell? Squeeze on in here, get cozy, and grab a hymnal that some kid has probably doodled a dick in the back of. (laughs) We want to say up front that if you're a new listener, this premiere episode will either be a strange way to start or 100% the only reason you are here in the first place. If you are a casual listener, consider checking out some of our past episodes to get a feel for who we are and what we're all about. We wanted to make this disclaimer because this initial episode, which Colton and I are both very proud of, was recorded specifically in response to a story being produced by Refinery29. The story was on a very specific situation in a very specific church that Colton and I both attended. Dan and I have often talked about our vision for this podcast and our reticence to take part in gossip just because it's fun. And don't get us wrong, it's really fun. We generally make an effort to keep our references vague and broad so as not to deliberately offend anyone or the places that we may be critiquing. However, there's a difference between mudslinging and directly addressing something that we feel is wrong or harmful. I'll openly admit that when I first heard about the coming story, I hesitated as to whether or not I should speak up. I personally had not been directly wronged or victimized by this organization, and I didn't know if I'd be guilty of complaining simply to complain. However, after learning more, this is an important talk that we wanted to address directly, and it opened the door to an awesome conversation about bigger topics. Anyway, that's enough preamble. Please hit subscribe so you get these episodes each Sunday as they drop. And please remember to rate and review us because we really get off on it. God, we really do. Mm. You can support our Patreon at patreon.com slash thebackpew and follow us on social media at thebackpew. All right, congregation, let's go to church. I host a show called State of Grace on Refinery29. My best friend Tina produces it. And it's a show... um, sort of in short about the intersections of faith in social issues in surprising ways, surprising representations of faith in the United States today. That's sort of what we're looking to explore. I'm not trained as a journalist at all, but I've always liked talking with people and for better or for worse, I think probably being raised by a reverend. I'm really comfortable in front of people and cameras. So um, when Tina became a producer at Refinery29, there were some things happening in my personal life, namely um, my oldest friend didn't want to participate in my wedding for religious reasons. And so as Tina and I were unpacking that, because, you know, she'd just be in my yard and I would just be pacing and smoking and being like, oh my gosh, this is what is happening in my life. Um, She was like, we should explore this. This is maybe a show. And so we shot the pilot, which dealt with conversion therapy and the Mm. Christian and religious involvement in conversion therapy um, and sort of uh, religious 
um, interpretations on queer identities, but mostly conversion therapy. Um, and from there, they picked up three more episodes. And uh, one of them just came out yesterday, which was about sex education and um, how faith is involved in having sex education, which actually in the United States, it's not great. It's almost like how faith informs people to not have sex education. And then the second episode will be about um, mega churches and inclusivity and transparency. Mm -hmm. um, sort of the, the messaging of all are welcome. You belong here. Um, what does that mean? What are the boundaries to that? And then the episode following that will be about sort of the boundaries and lines that people draw with regards to life and death. Um, so that's what the show is it's, a, awesome. it's like a docu series. Yeah. So this thing. is is this your first uh, is this your first experience with Refinery Twenty Nine or have you been? Yes, okay. they through Tina they also film my wedding. Okay, um, ah. for for their for their series oh, yeah. called Worldwide Wed because it was another like this lesbian wedding is religious. Yeah, and I was like, is that quirky? Because all the other ones like they take place in exotic locations. They have really to me I'm far more of like a clash or something interesting. To me, it's like yeah, there was a priest there that married us like a <laughs> like a quirky? wedding almost like just a wedding right <laughs> um so they filmed that and then uh that was a really cool experience okay so this is your first is this your first experience hosting this kind of show yes and it's actually something i've really wanted to do for a while because before i was in sort of newsrooms hosting entertainment type talk shows or um strict sort of news this is what happened today and that was good and well and honestly any paycheck in this town that is in a field adjacent to what you want to do oh yeah you do yeah, it for sure. i really loved all the people that i got to work with they were really awesome but but truly what what i love and why i love songwriting as well um is connecting with people and stories and people sharing stories. That's why I love folk music. Um, and that's why I love uh, the docu style element of this show. And that's definitely the format that I would see myself working in, in the future as well, whether as a, as a producer or host or whatever, I just think that's so it's what fills my cup, you know, mm -hmm. is just, um, hearing from people and people sharing their stories and finding commonalities and traveling um, across the country or across the world to try and um, find commonalities. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that news, this is no surprise to anybody, but news these days is so divisive. And mm -hmm. but but people, we have so much more in common than the powers that serve to divide us. And I, and I think that through docs, is what I'm finding um, is a great way of, of showcasing that. Yeah. You you have a strong brand. You have Ooh. a strong presence. Thank like you. you're give or take, you're like six feet tall. Yeah, I am six yeah, feet tall. Yeah, you're tattooed. You've yeah. got a, a watermelon covered skull t-shirt. <laughs> so there's like this there's this sort of like general like you're you're the kind of person like you walk into a room and it's like that's who that person is and my question is i'm gonna cry do you know how long i wanted to be that person i cannot believe working. that you feel that way because we just working. met today that is huge <laughs> i felt for so long i would enter a room and i would ne i was never comfortable pr to present the way i wanted to and yeah. so i would never i'd always feel like i had to meet someone and really get to know them before they could see me for who i am so for you to say that is actually like that is so meaningful to hear i mean it from the bottom of my heart. What what my question is is, 
doing this docuseries and doing this kind of work, have you had any experiences? You said you were in Texas. Yeah. You're talking about some pretty heavy stuff. Yeah. And you're probably getting into some communities that don't have a lot of people with your type of brand. Yes. Have you had any experiences where you're like, I don't feel welcome here. I don't feel safe here. This is getting weird. Um, you know, I haven't had anything of not feeling safe. Um, not really anything strongly of not feeling welcome. I would say I've been really pleasantly surprised. I also, I have a really thick skin. So there's certain things that I'll clock. So if, if for example, I'm meeting someone and um, what happens a lot of times when we do interviews is that they'll, I'll be sitting and we'll be getting mic'd up and everything. And then they'll be like, oh, oh, you're the host. You're going to be interviewing me. Mm. And I'm like, oh yeah, I know. I guess it is kind of a fun surprise that <laughs> it's not just Ellen that is a lesbian that can do interviews. Like it's right. other, <laughs> there, were, there are many. We are a multitude of lesbians that could be on camera. Did they think you were just like one of the camera yeah, people? Yeah, I think they thought I was uh, a stand-in. And it's happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's fair. I, I absolutely understand that. You know, if I show up to, because I this is how I I would show up to set on an inner set um that's it's hardly right well if there's a oh, camera yeah. there it's exactly a set. sure yeah. it's a set um this is a living room but we have mics <laughs> this so our, this is a studio um, yeah <laughs> this is a studio i love this studio um Homie. so <laughs> so yeah i i have had instances where i can sort of clock that someone is giving me a bit of a double take or is perhaps surprised that i'm i'm the one that they're going to be speaking with um and i kind of love that I really do and that's again from a position of privilege because I've never felt unsafe there have been a few times where I've asked someone to like come to the bathroom with me if we're in a pretty remote area um through the travels in like Alabama or Texas just to make sure that I don't know depending on how short my hair is at that time like I just I again that's it but that's uh, another thing too hmm. that I have a weird way of looking at things where sometimes someone will like do like we'll check the bathroom stall door that they went in sure and yeah. just be like oh is this the oh okay and then I'll be like yeah it's surprising thing you have a fun story for the rest of your day like i saw <laughs> yeah. a real lesbian here um and uh you i would not believe how tall you would this not believe was. a huge <laughs> lesbian. sorry i just totally went to the southern uh, she's at alabama not the I mean. yeah okay yeah. but no but honestly like i loved i loved alabama i loved birmingham i really want to go back i loved um my time in texas as well i would definitely i've been to texas before but i would really want to go back again um, I've been really pleasantly surprised and in instances where there is maybe a little bit of, oh, this is maybe different for you. I, I love that too. I mm -hmm. love all of it. I just, I, cause I think that I, I have, um, perhaps a misplaced sense of confidence that I, I think I can get along with this person, you know, mm. I, well, if they just give, if I think that if we all just sort of give each other a chance with exceptions to, mm -hmm. you know, obviously outliers. But for the most part, if we give each other a chance, we'll find something we can like about each other. And mm -hmm. I know that if, if the, the, the response sometimes, if I can read from someone of like, Oh, this is, this is a thing. I love that. Cause I'm like, Oh, we're going to, I'm re we're really going to get, here we along. go. Now we know where we're working. Yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. I'd rather yeah. sort of, I, I actually like that sort of level of transparency of like, okay, you're uncomfortable. So, well, you have, you yeah. have like a willingness to, to, to face it. You have yeah. a willingness to like, let's, let's get into it. Let's talk about it. As opposed to like, don't like, don't bring it up. Don't, I, I don't yeah. want to talk about it with you. I do. There's, there's a willingness to like engage with yes. it. Yes. I, and that's what I, that's what I really noticed about my core sort of belief system is 
I just really value transparency. If I make you uncomfortable, if you think who I am is inherently sinful or immoral, I would far rather you just let me know that and we can operate from where you're at rather than pretend to be somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And then I find down the line, oh, actually you, you've thought this about me the whole time. I think that most people, we just want to find ways of getting along and finding commonalities. It's just, it's the hard, uncomfortable work of getting there. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to agree. Okay. So we were looking into an episode on, I think it initially started with, um, mega churches or, or kind of just like cool church culture as it's was become. it a pretty loose theme when you it, started or it did start far broader than where it's landed which i actually like as i like that we're um honing in on something specific mm -hmm. um that i think should be addressed but this one started as sort of looking at like hip church culture and what are the boundaries to that and so we had planned on going to a church service at DragCon, RuPaul's mm -hmm. DragCon, um, because that's sort of an example of this is a very cool church service and when they say all are welcome at DragCon, I mean so long as you can afford that ticket or you have a pass <laughs> in yeah all are welcome at that church the service ch at DragCon. The church was in the con it was like it was a, it was a service okay. on the Sunday so DragCon is I believe Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And mm -hmm. on that Sunday morning, they had a church service and they had the choir and they had um, a reverend from a church that I've actually been meaning to visit because he spoke so well. He was really great. And he's there um, and he gave a bit of a message and then they opened it up for questions, which was really interesting. Nice. Mm. Um, and they were fielding the most wonderful and strange questions um mm -hmm. as one would expect uh at a drag con service like some people were just asleep some people were singing some people were engaged the choir they um let us know they were not all it wasn't necessarily a christian choir it was just sort of a people that enjoyed um church music that were singing mm -hmm. it was a really wonderful choir i wish i knew more about them but um it was so it was that experience and then we were going to head over to do an interview with uh two people in leadership positions at mosaic um and see sort of what their boundaries for inclusion are because we had some idea how churches like mosaic operate through i mean you can Google it. You can put it in the show notes. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that it's out there. You can. You can. You. you we've heard about sort of these um, ambiguous or perhaps misleading, dishonest um, uh, boundaries to their inclusion. That's those. The, that's been out there before. And so we wanted to sit down and speak with them. Um, and then the night before um, that interview got pulled. They, they said that we, they couldn't accommodate filming at this time. And I thought that was sort of strange. Was that how they phrased it? We can't. They can't accommodate filming at this time. What a weird excuse. I, might, I mean, it's I, I'm paraphrasing, but it was yeah. definitely about the accommodating of filming. Okay. Um, and that the interview, you know, wasn't happening. And um, so then the next morning I was sitting at Starbucks because we still had an interview that morning um, with someone else who had gone to a uh, church in Los Angeles and who had had a um, experience with uh, feeling included and then finding out, oh, actually, 
I'm not fully affirmed at this church. And so we had that interview was already was going to happen. And while I was sort of at a Starbucks, just um, flipping through my phone, I started doing some more research on Mosaic and I found um, some Twitter threads that had picked up traction and I sent them to Tina. And um, that led from one thing to the other that day, we were just sort of driving around Los Angeles, trying to piece together um, different people's stories about their experience at this church, which I hadn't, I mean, I hadn't even really considered it before. The only thing that I knew about the Mosaic interview that I wanted to make sure I asked them, because I, I was really interested to hear, you know, how they view their church culture and, and why they've cultivated the culture the way they have and why is it important to them. But I also really specifically wanted to ask, are there any queer people in leadership positions at your church? And would you perform a queer wedding ceremony at Mosaic? Would you bless that marriage? Um, because I think that a lot of times when, the question is asked of people that aren't really plugged in. It's, do you believe that being gay is a sin? And they'll be like, well, it doesn't matter what I believe. Like, I love everyone, blah, 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 blah. And it's a way of deflection. So I really mm -hmm. wanted to get a specific yes or no. Are there queer people in leadership positions here? Mm -hmm. that, that was all I knew I wanted to ask um, as, as far as that issue. Because I feel like to me, that's indicative of your positions, um, whether they're affirming or not. Did they right. know you were coming in to talk about that kind of content? Were you like, here's a list of what we could ask or? Um, I don't know if we sent over a list, but they, we, they watched the first episode. Okay. They so knew they knew the topic was coming of, yeah. in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, as far as, as far as I know. And so they, they, they knew that we were talking about like church coolness. And I think when we, when we say coolness, when you say like, are you cool? Like there's a lot that goes into that. Mm -hmm. And I sort of wanted to break down who are you cool with? What does being <laughs> cool to these people mean to you yeah. Yeah. and these different communities? So, uh, that's, that led us to that week. Um, Tina was just on the phone with so many different people. Colton, you were one of them. And I don't know if she spoke with you. Uh, not on the phone. Okay. No. Yeah. So it ended up that we gathered a group of people. I, I thought it was going to be about, you know, four or five people that wanted to speak with us. And it ended up being um, significantly more. And mm -hmm. some people even Skyped in as well. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, people just sharing stories um, of different varieties of their experiences of feeling um, I guess, I don't know, how would you describe it, Colton? Like how, people feeling sort of misled, perhaps? Yeah, I think there's a lot of people who are still very angry in a very raw sense about feeling like they were told one thing, you're, you're allowed to come here, everything that you are is accepted and included, you belong. And they bought into that narrative without asking too many questions or seeing anything that was alarming on the surface. And mm -hmm. then after, you know, years or a season of serving and then asking those questions you basically asked like how cool are you with this like i want to be on leadership i want to yeah. sing uh i want to serve i want to be on paid staff whatever and then being told no and being told that it's because of their sexual disposition mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. so many words so that's where i feel like people were like it honestly gotten their hopes up like i finally i finally found a cool church found, that found my place. that's like affirming me even though you know i'm transgender gay whatever their thing is where they didn't fit in at their traditional church back home which i think is a lot of us um and then it was just like no not again and this one i think just hurt so much more mm -hmm. um and i would love you to kind of unpack that twitter thread that came through because i've tried to explain it to a few yeah, people but so there were so what happened was uh the head pastor is that he's the head Erwin? pastor yes yeah. he's the head pastor Erwin McManus, yeah. um he the head pastor of mosaic uh spoke with hype beast 
um, which is what a sentence. Um, and I've never heard of it. Yeah. Felt so, uh, and it was about um, it's something that you kind of I've seen a, a little bit on Instagram and on Twitter about um, pastors from uh, high profile churches uh, dressing in like designer clothing yeah, and the preachers and sneakers. Yeah, that blew up. Right. So um, there was that. And then as part of the article, Erwin um, was saying something to the effect of Mosaic might have the largest contingent of LGBTQ um, parishioners. Uh, he's like, I don't have specific numbers on that, but just by the sheer number of people attending, that's probably true because our position is we are for everyone. That's always been our position. We are for everybody. And so... Um, was it Mosaic that had t- retweeted that? Or was that Hypebeast that had like clipped it and tweeted that out? I actually think it was Tori. Oh, Tori did. Okay. Yeah, in her tweet. Oh, okay. Um, clipped it out and basically said... Um, I think it was, it was something along the lines of like, I wasn't... You know, I've been quiet for a while, but this is blatantly not true and here's my experience uh, mm-hmm. so tori shared her experience with mosaic um which directly contradicts the statement um that erwin made and then from there a number of other people started chiming in with their own experiences and i, I don't think that by any stretch the um tweet went viral mm-hmm. but it did pick up traction within um a certain community of people that were clearly connected to each other through mosaic mm-hmm. and had similar stories um, or related stories to share. Mm-hmm. And that's um, sort of where we fell into this, was um, finding this Twitter thread and getting in touch with Tori and getting in touch with other people, yourself, and uh, figuring out what's going on here and why, you know, it, it's why are so many people, you know, engaging um, with what what Erwin is saying, like it, it really struck something in people. It was really a sense of hurt, you know, and not only are, you know, not, not only are you going to sort of privately, um, make us feel different, other, less than, but now publicly you're going to say you aren't, Mm -hmm. that's a different thing. Hello and welcome to the first voiceover of season three of The Back Pew. It's been a while since we had one of these, since last season was all about the Enneagram and we diverged from our traditional structure a bit. So let me take a quick moment to explain what you just heard, i.e. The Back Pew Bongo for any new listeners out there. That little drum roll signifies our desire to go deeper on a particular topic referenced by either ourselves or our guests. In this instance, I feel it's necessary to provide some additional context to a few things Grace has just mentioned. Erwin's actual quote featured in Hypebeast went like this. I don't have any data on this, strong start, but I'm gonna guess that we probably have more people who identify themselves in the gay community at Mosaic than probably any church in LA, just by the sheer virtue and size of Mosaic. He adds, and so our posture has always been, we're for everybody. This is the quote that set our friend Tori off. Tori's tweets, say that five times fast, sparked the ripple effect that led Grace and her producer Tina to a slew of ex-Mosaic attendees, including myself and Dan, all of whom told stories ranging from typical church drama like messy breakups between staff members and volunteers, or a pastor unfollowing someone after they left, to more serious allegations of racial discrimination, misappropriation of church funds, and even sexual harassment. 
It was a challenge to keep our group conversations at Refinery29 focused on just discrimination of the LGBTQ community. It was also a challenge for me personally to convey both the beauty and drama I experienced at Mosaic. You see, seven years ago when I first attended an Easter Sunday service at Mosaic, I immediately recognized the hipster, celebrity-adjacent vibe they were putting off. And it would have been a total deal-breaker for me if not for the truly thoughtful, theologically insightful, and welcoming community I experienced there. For example, Ern McManus used to host an event called Letters once a month during which he would spend an entire eight-hour day teaching about one book of the Bible. It was incredible, and one of the rarest acts of raw, unfiltered theological exposition I've ever seen to this day. Even after attending seminary and getting my master's degree in theology, I still think Letters was one of my favorite theological experiences I've ever had. The first time I ever attended a Letters event, Erwin was teaching on 1 Corinthians. For those familiar with 1 Corinthians, you know it's a minefield of controversial topics that most pastors would not wander into so freely with a random group of church attendees on a Saturday afternoon. But Erwin boldly stood and delivered answers to every question asked by a crowd of at least a few hundred people that day, including one about 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, which in the NIV goes like this. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with other men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. After giving somewhat of a lengthy explanation on the context of Corinth and Paul's day, the person who originally posed the question followed up with, So, do you believe homosexuality is a sin? To which Erwin responded, I cannot find any biblical evidence that supports it. Fair enough, I thought. I respect his honesty. I respect that he clearly doesn't want to admit how he feels because he knows we're in Hollywood and many people here might be gay and he knows that this may make them leave Mosaic. I thought it showed integrity. I know I'd be scared to give that answer publicly as that used to be a view I shared for many years. So despite my theological differences on this issue with the head pastor, I stayed. I chose to call Mosaic home for years because I believed in the character of those leading the community. Because back then, the staff's theology was a bit deeper than their closet. Back then, Mosaic wasn't in publications like Vanity Fair, The Hollywood Reporter, and The New York Times, because we were an artistic, weird, pure-hearted community, and no one really knew who we were. We were like Lainey Boggs and She's All That before Freddie Prince Jr. came along and made us run for prom queen. You're welcome for that reference, 90s kids. Anyway. I say all of this because if you look at my wedding photos from this past April, over half the people that flew across the country to be there are great friends my wife and I met through Mosaic. We've all since left, but we all remember the beauty that was the good old days, and I'm using massive air quotes right now. I know there are people who want to burn Mosaic to the ground, and rightfully so. I get it. But as a former pastor of Mosaic and my former boss Hank Forner once told me, you shouldn't keep hating the girl who broke your heart in high school. She was what you needed during that specific season. You learned a little bit more about the kind of person you should be dating. And ultimately, you learned a lot more about who you really are. And that's coming from someone who, after leaving Mosaic to start his nonprofit, had his entire 10-year catalog of sermons wiped off their podcast. I found great solace in Hank's analogy for years, and maybe you do as well. But it was up until I received Tori's text that I changed my mind about going on the record about Mosaic. That's when I realized the hypothetical girl who broke my heart years ago wasn't just a failed romance, but she had actually gotten even more destructive over the years. 
So while I believe it's never helpful to broadcast your bitterness, I do think it's a fine line between broadcasting bitterness and speaking hard truths from a healed place. And that's why we're here discussing Mosaic's continued failure to have integrity regarding their stance on homosexuality, despite all the beauty they've created in my life and the lives of my loved ones. Except for Dan. He's a real piece of shit. But anyway, back to Grace. I think what's interesting is that there is a part of me that thinks that just purely like from a from a numbers perspective he he might technically be right mm. in that like just the amount of people in the building uh it may be like one of the larger populations of LGBTQ um, communities within a church in Los Angeles just the sheer amount of people going through there there are constantly new people there so but I think that the the conversation comes to like what this topic of belonging is. Right. Because I don't think being in the building counts <laughs> as the kind of belonging that people think they mean. I belong to this apartment complex now. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. You do, <laughs> you do here. belong yeah. here. I belong here. Rent mm-hmm. is due in a couple days. <laughs> 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 um, but like, I think that it almost, it's almost like there's, there's just very, very, very fine print that like the the leadership at large seems to not want to talk about and people are accidentally discovering it and there is a sense of like the fuck is this fine print down here yeah and they're like well, i mean that was kind of there the whole time it's like <laughs> nobody pointed it out to me and i didn't show up with a lawyer so mm-hmm. like yeah what uh, i think it's the i i do think that it's sort of in the accidental discovery that people feel betrayed and Mm -hmm. misled you know i think that it'd be a very different thing um if the if churches in general were more open with their positions because i mean who knows what that would do for attendance and numbers and some people still might feel like you know what they don't affirm me but this is home for me and that's fine Mm -hmm. to make you know uh an educated decision on where you want to practice your faith but if you are if you feel like you're making an educated decision based on what people are telling you and the messaging that is being presented to you. And then you find out that actually that was not the truth that you were being misinformed. Mm -hmm. Then that's why we see this sense of, um, of anger called, like you were saying of, of people being like, Hey, this is wrong. And I think it's especially, it, it just, it just, it's heartbreaking when it, when it comes from like the place that should be a beacon of truth, which is, you know, a, a, a house of God, whoever you call God to be like, that should be the ultimate truth. And I think that that is why people are, are so angry. It's just, it's just poisoning the well of something that we, that should be so pure, mm-hmm. you know? And, and then the question for me is why, why not just be upfront? Is it because it's not popular? Is there, are they, a part of some sort of a like a confederation where if they have to toe the line but actually they would like to be affirming but they can't because then they won't get funding or I don't know how it works like I I I have no idea why what is the incentive for this because to me it's the the backlash of this betrayal um is a heavy thing to stare down rather than just owning what your truth is and there has been uh not that you have seen, there's been no willingness to like make a statement or make any kind of responses from, uh, from yeah, leadership I mean, or anything. The episode has not come out yet, so I don't okay. really know how that's going to go. And I am 
preying on it a lot. That it well, fine. It, it sounded like on Twitter, people were directly yes. like, reaching out to them. And but on, but on Twitter, um, there has been stuff happening because Hypebeast issued a correction mm-hmm. um, to the article. I heard about that. Yeah, which I think was really the responsible thing for Hypebeast to do. And it's another thing of, you know, if someone tells you something about something that they are the leader of, you're inclined to believe them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then upon obviously further research, it's not true. They did the responsible thing in issuing not only just an, uh, an update to the story, but also, um, a number of personal accounts, uh, from oh, people wow. that wanted to share with Hypebeast, um, what their experience was. Mm-hmm. And, um, the response was, I think there, there was, it was basically some subtweeting from people in leadership. I don't follow... Um, any of it too closely because I'm just for my own personal sanity at, at this point yeah. in time. I know what our intentions are with this episode. I know that this is a moment of speaking truth to power and actually coming from a great place of love. Um, when you hold someone accountable, you could do something amazing with um, all the initiatives and all the energy that you have surrounding Mosaic. You could really oh, yeah. do something incredible. And, and they have at certain certain times. I right, think. right. And it's just on this issue and on and, and on others as well, you're really, really falling short. So I'm I've seen some subtweeting, mm-hmm. um, but I I can't like engage with it too deeply. I sure. think one of the most shocking things to see through your eyes in that group was I think when you were asking about why people were so scared to speak out. And that yes. to me was the most like wow, it got so toxic. It's one thing to have church drama, bad people in leadership, you're like they suck or they're disorganized or whatever. But when you see like fear, there's like genuine fear yeah. around people leaving and speaking out. Well, I talk felt about it that. to some degree. Yeah. Cause it is like, um, it's a big, powerful connected entity. Like those people know a lot of people. He's been in LA and Hollywood for a long time. And mm-hmm. so is that family. And so is their friends. Some of them are professional musicians, actors, and I think when people are also in an entertainment, I think I think I I'm not involved in entertainment at all. Like they can't really fuck with my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think for people that were in the arts, they're like, I am one degree of separation from these people everywhere I go. Yeah. This church is on Hollywood Boulevard and La Brea. Like they know everyone. You know I, what I mean, yeah, I did um a few nights around when we were doing the episode. I took a deep dive on through Instagram, through people well-connected to Mm -hmm. the church. And you are extremely right in what you're saying about them being very plugged into entertainment. And it is, it is, I don't know if it's disheartening. It's just, I guess it's a, gives you pause when you see um, celebrities, musicians, entertainers that you greatly respect that are deeply connected to, um, churches that don't affirm who you are it makes you question things and a big question i have is do these people know that the person that they're associating with believes this thing because um if let's say if one celebrity is we know to be affirming loves pride is perhaps queer themselves and then they're posing in a photo with these people, one of which you know belongs to an institution that is not affirming. Do they know? Do they? Mm-hmm. How does that go? How does that mm-hmm. dynamic go? Yep. And I, I hope that 
if there if there's a hope that I have for this episode for this moment in time with regards to these churches is it's just purely for accountability and for honesty just be honest with where you are and allow people to figure out their relationship to you then but if you are being intentionally dishonest or vague about what you believe um it's i just i just think that that's not right yeah I think a lot of what we're seeing happen with like the the mega churches of this ilk, and we can take it we can take it a step bigger towards like mega church culture in the mm. United States in general. Because I think right now we're seeing a really interesting thing. These uh, they're urban hip churches. They're in they're in large cities, and virtually every city in America is going to have some of these like cool hip churches. Yeah, but. They are only they uh, to a point. They're only outwardly hip. The music is highly produced. They have stylists for pastoral staff. Like everybody is looking sharp, looking cool. It is especially like because they're on the corner of Hollywood and La Brea, this specific church. They like image is so important, but there has not been a fundamental examination of the deep rooted theology. So it's like these churches have adjusted and evolved to be relevant like the the word relevant yeah specifically seems to be so important to their um i think they would call it their mission but i think it's probably closer to their marketing um they are so obsessed with cultural relevancy that they have not taken the time to do the hard internal work of what is our theology what mm. is our belief about who God is and how God relates to people? It all just sort of gets shrouded over and like, how do we get people in the door? How do we be visually appealing? How do we be production appealing? How do we like... Yeah. And I think part of that too plays into the celebrity culture surrounding it because how do you stay relevant by sort of hanging out with people who are culturally yeah. relevant. But without really addressing the deep theological issues, they just get pushed down. They just get like, they just get buried and then they kind of become secrets. I remember, I mean, my, my experience, uh, and I will like say no names, but in my experience, I started attending this mega church and got deeper in volunteering and got deeper in terms of like just being there a lot, sharing a lot of my time there. And I really, really loved the community. I had probably been going there for at least a year, probably closer to a year and a half, bordering on two. And I went through a program there that was like a mentorship program where you met with a mentor once a week. And it was sort of like a discipleship thing. They took you through some coursework and it was sort of like, it was another step that you went through towards being able to be a volunteer leader. Mm. Anybody could volunteer. Anybody could show up and be a part of a team because the fact is they're not going to turn down free labor. I mean, like I cleaned bathrooms and mopped floors there twice a week. Like, and I did that just for the promise of social security and friendship. So this was like the gatekeeping towards volunteer leadership and it wasn't until then that my mentor who no fault of his own got to the point in the booklet where he was like just so you know no members of lgbtq community are able to be leaders and i i remember that moment and just being like what 
like they're they're everywhere they're yeah. volunteering with us on every level they're in all of the groups i'm a part of they're attending small groups like they're a part of the community are they finding out this way are they able to take this like this course that i just took or is it like that for me was i i remember i really i really wrestled with that and i remember not talking to anybody about it cuz at that time i was probably i was probably 26 or so mm-hmm. and i remember being like i guess this is nobody's talking about this so you were told this in a factual manner just just so you know all the volunteering that you're doing it's great please then, do it but you could never ascend to a leadership position yeah and you but you were told that privately and then oh yeah you just one sort on, of kept w- that to yourself one-on-one yeah so even when other like queer people that you knew that were affiliated and that were also volunteering did you share that with them or like were they having other similar conversations or was it all sort of an unspoken i truth? i i think it was like i think my probably naive hope is that these conversations was being had were being had like lovingly with other people yeah but i from that point on was pretty confused as to like why would you devote so much time like if Mm -hmm. you were a member if you were a member of the community why would you devote so much time to volunteering if you knew this so then it was like i got this is that was troubling to me it did feel like an open secret you kind of thought everybody knew yeah. so if someone was a part of the lgbtq community was there you're like well they gotta know like and then the more prevalent it became like they don't know yeah because we'd been enough conversations from being there a while back right that i think some somewhere along the line those conversations stopped being had and we were all like well they must fucking know like and they, they must have been told at uh, the cross or at a you know the letters or at the yeah. Life in Christ, I think, was the mentoring program. Like, they had to – someone told them, you know. But it wasn't until I started having to, like, dish out orders for people where I'm like, oh, you do, you've never told them before. Right, yeah. So in hindsight, it is it is uh, embarrassing now being removed from that, knowing, like, I just didn't know what to do. Like, I didn't know how to talk to people about it. I didn't want to be the bearer of bad news. I also wasn't – I I like wasn't a leader. And then once I was a volunteer leader, I did definitely struggle with that feeling of like new volunteers would come be open with me, share stuff with me. And I'm like, is, am I the one who tells this, like this 19 year old kid who just got to LA that he like loves coming to this church. Am I the one who tells him the policy like the were, were, did you have to be that person i was never officially asked to be that person and i wouldn't i would never like i never had any of them uh i never had anybody be like hey how do i like take the next step up so i just like wasn't forced to be that person in any specific moment but i also i don't think i was like i think once i learned about that that was the big be- that was the beginning of my slow kind of decline I once had a roommate and good friend come back from a morning run out of breath and beside himself. He stomped into the living room where I sat eating breakfast cereal. You will not believe what just happened on my run, he proclaimed, establishing sky-high narrative stakes. So I'm running down the sidewalk, I've got a pretty good pace going, and I see ahead of me this guy, and he's talking on the phone. 
in the middle of the sidewalk. I sat transfixed, spoonful of cereal hovering between my bowl and mouth, piecing together the geography of the characters and the mounting tension. I love a good story, so I'm all in. Uh-huh, yeah? So I shout, on your left, and the guy doesn't move. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I shout louder, on your left, the guy still doesn't react. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah? So I'm like running up to this guy and I yell, on your left, and the dude spins in my direction right as I pass and we just drill each other. He falls down to the ground as I keep running and I'm like, sorry dude, and he just looks around confused. Crazy, right? I blinked, putting the spoon back in the bowl, puzzled because we clearly have a case of narrative dissonance. Did I miss an important piece about the character? Did I misunderstand the plot? Was the man on the phone in a Nazi uniform? Wait, why didn't you run around him? I said on your left. But could you have stopped? Well, I mean, I had a pretty good pace going. I took a beat, squinting in silence. Dude, that is a story about you knocking a man to the ground. Did you stop to help him up? I mean, I had already ran past him. I couldn't believe I had to say it, but I burst out laughing as I did. Bro, you are not the good guy in that story. You, kind listener, just heard in this interview, just minutes ago, the moment that I, Dan Prevett, realized I was not the good guy in my story. But, I mean, I had a pretty good pace going. Earlier in this episode, you heard Grace and I discussing some of our shared experiences and differences as Christian kids growing up overseas. Grace was raised Episcopal, as she mentioned, which I have always understood best in the terms described by the late philosopher and theologian Robin Williams. I'm an Episcopal, that's Catholic light. <laughs> you know? Same religion, half the guilt. You know, Catholics, you know, you've got confession. Episcopals, we've got Thanksgiving where dad has a couple of gin and tonics. You know? I never loved your mother, you know that, don't you? As has been extensively covered in this podcast, I was raised as a conservative fundamentalist. I was raised to believe the Bible was the literal word of God, his chosen message transcribed by prophets, not to be tinkered with, pondered over, and most certainly not interpreted. Interpretation gave room for the human mind and heart, which are both understood to be irrevocably twisted by sin, and therefore cannot be trusted which is why you need the Bible to be as ironclad as possible, so we don't go around asking questions and fucking up God's shit like toddlers with power tools. Conservative Christians have one phrase that serves as remarkable cover for the unattractiveness of exclusionary theology, and you've probably heard it. God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. This can be applied to anything, homosexuality, fornication, addiction, even violence. I actually think the sentiment of this notion is well-intentioned. I do believe that if there is a God, they must be capable of loving all of us, no matter what we have done. Otherwise, there would be no hope for forgiveness and redemption among one another. However, the subject gets sticky when no delineation is made between violence or addiction or homosexual love. Non-equivocal subjects are treated as equal character flaws, and that causes problems. I only bring all this up to clarify that to someone with the religious background I had, Mosaic felt like the most radically inclusive church I had ever experienced. Like Colton said earlier, it was a creative colony of quirky artists and offbeat outcasts. It was a place where people like me who had rejected dogma felt like they could still experience God. 
There was less emphasis put on sin and brokenness and more placed on the beauty of love and the power of compassion. I had never experienced a church where openly gay people attended and loved it. I had only seen homosexuality treated with the same rigid expectations that addiction and violence had been treated. You can come in, but that needs to stay out there, in the past, not in your future. Christ has room for you, but only if you abandon that part of you. But then there's this massive church in the heart of Hollywood, and their motto is, you belong here. No ifs or buts. At least, not on the billboards. I fell deep in love with Mosaic and my community. I was heavily involved as a volunteer, serving alongside many of my best friends, and in a very real way, I felt like I had found a spiritual home. A lot of us felt that way. When I was given that one-on-one -on -one message in regards to official policy, it was sandwiched between the usual things I had always expected from a church. No alcohol at church events, no casual treatment of sex before marriage, and also no LGBTQ leadership. I was confused, disappointed, and immediately conflicted because I believed two of those were behaviors and one was an identity. But as you heard, I am unable to defend my younger self. I cannot defend him because he didn't do the right thing. He did nothing. He let his confusion and disappointment silence him because the truth is, he didn't know what to do. Everyone belonged there, kind of. Mosaic was a place that accepted everyone. It would take me a while to learn that there is a difference between accepting and affirming. See, I think that accepting is a fancy new marketing lingo for God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. Hip, modern, urban megachurches will proudly say they accept all kinds, be it atheist, Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu, hippies, communists, gay, or straight. But this is deeply coded language because accepting is not affirming. Accepting says, you are the other, but you are welcome here. Affirming says, you are my equal, and you belong here. It's a subtle subversion of what words mean, and the ramifications are powerful. I had to come to the realization that I would not take part in a spiritual community that accepts, but does not affirm. Because I believe God accepts behavior, but affirms identity. If you would like to find out your current church's position on LGBTQ membership, please visit churchclarity.org. Also, if you are less than satisfied with what you find and would like to discuss what may be a strong next step, feel free to shoot Colton and I a message. Colt is one of the wisest and straightforward guys I've ever met, and while I may be a piece of shit, I know I can take my experience not being the good guy in my story and encourage you to be the good guy in yours. P.S. That friend of mine who delivered the message to me on official policy, still a very dear friend of mine, who also no longer attends Mosaic. Back to the episode. How old were you when you came to LA? I was oh, 22. Yeah, okay, so like the age of a lot of us when we landed. At, yeah, at right, right after college. Right after college, yeah. we came out to LA. Like, I wonder if, if you didn't have a strong community, this is what I was kind of assuming was like, would you just take the trade off of like, I'm finding friends and I'm finding yeah. community and I know I can't serve or have a wedding here, but goddamn, it's lonely. Yeah, I well, that, that's, that's the thing that I hope that churches of this ilk would recognize of like it is better it is just always going to be better to be honest and upfront with what your policies and what your positions and your belief systems are and then let people evaluate for themselves mm -hmm. i am of the belief that um you know only uh like only a 
what is the teaching? I'm going to really butcher this, but it's like only a good tree can bear good fruit. And that's like good teaching, like a rotten tree, you yeah, only get rotten fruit. Right. So I believe that, you know, if you really, if you feel strongly that what you are providing is good fruit, then the teaching like that, then your teaching will reflect that and your community will reflect that. Right. But you mm. need to be upfront and then allow people to make their own informed decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't know, maybe yeah. someone might be new to Los Angeles and be like, you know what? I'm, marriage feels so far away. I'm actually not trying to lead anything. I am fine to just kind of hang out and uh, just sort of wonder in every conversation if the person I'm talking to thinks that I'm inherently immoral. Like I'm, <laughs> you know, I, if yeah. someone wants to weigh that and then that's their personal well, decision, that's, that's, that's all right. What, that's what is so interesting is even like in the community, like that, uh, that feeling will not be felt amongst like the general congregation. Like I, I, I never, I don't think there would have ever, what is interesting is like on a broad, on like a broad congregational level, most of the people attending are cool. And so there is that sense of like, yeah, you're, you're welcome to hang out. Mm-hmm. You're welcome to volunteer. You can come to all the small groups and the parties and whatever is happening. Yeah. That's not restricted. So I think that's where it gets like, it's exactly the, I agree with you 100% that just being honest would at least give people the choice of being like, yeah, okay. I'm good yeah. with that. Yeah. Like I'll make, I'll make the call for myself. And when it's time for me to go, I'll go. Yeah. I, I, I think that that would clear up so much because I do genuinely think they they just want people to feel comfortable coming through the doors. Right. And I think that they do a pretty good job of making people feel pretty comfortable coming through the doors. So then what is preventing them from being honest about their positions? Earnest, I mean, I can't say for certain, having never been a leader like at that level, but my best guess would be that in this contemporary culture, it's just too uncool. Like it would damage the cool cred too much to say, like if they publicly were to be like, look, we love you. We love everyone. Everybody is welcome to attend services, attend small groups, to volunteer, make friends, be here. But we have certain religiously held beliefs that limit our leadership structure. That is an open policy that we practice. We, we hope it doesn't offend you, but we understand that it might, but we just need that to be public knowledge. Mm-hmm. I think that in, there would just be a little too much of a backlash of like, that's so old fashioned. Yeah, I mean, not only that, but it would be like, okay, so my donations are cool. Mm, My tithing is cool. My attendance is good for numbers, good Mm -hmm. for optics. However, push comes to shove, the beauty, the sanctity of marriage, not for me. You don't feel that. Okay, cool. So I am, in your view, a second-class citizen. My question for the class, I reckon, is this. Uh, and I'm curious on both of your takes. Because I think I've, I've talked about the sneaker thing. For me, for some reason, when I saw that page, Preachers with Sneakers, and it's probably the fact that I was, like grew up a poor missionary kid. But like for me, I was like, how dare they? Like, they are 
pastors. Yeah. And they're wearing like $2,000 pairs of shoes. For me, on an on a level I almost couldn't explain or can't like I can't make like a, a beautiful philosophical argument for. I'm just like, no. It's just fundamentally wrong. I, I don't have to explain why. Yeah. But I'm a hypocrite because I don't necessarily feel the same way about a hip hop artist wearing the same sneakers. So I'm I'm curious uh, in in your take on that, and I know that it's like it's a minute area of a much larger. Oh, I, topic. I love this conversation. Yeah, with like the the shoes and staying relevant to culture, just sort of, I I just question the level of importance placed on it. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to reach people in the time that you're in. I absolutely understand that. Um, but could you do it without the shoes, without the, the designer items, without looking super cool? Mm-hmm. Maybe oh you couldn't. I mean, listen, I go to a really small church that, you know, we are having the problem. Maybe if our if Reverend Joyce, who I love dearly, wore some Yeezys, then maybe more people would come to our church service. I don't know. <laughs> but it, it, I just I wish there was a sort of a, a defense for it that felt a little bit more self-aware from those who are being called out rather than just saying this is petty. I don't actually think it's petty. I think it's a valid criticism that deserves um, a thoughtful response. I have have two thoughts connected to that. And I think first is that I guess uh, there's something in me. um, I don't believe that pastoral leadership or church leadership or even being like uh, faith leadership should be financially aspirational. Yep. Like there's something about that that to me, I feel like there shouldn't be a culture around like, man, pastors got money. Yeah. Like Pat, if and I understand a lot of these, a lot of these pastors who are able to afford this nice shit, they've got book deals. Like they're not taking the it's not always like they're just taking tithe and dumping it directly into yeah. the church finance. Where it gets dicey, I think, is how much of that tithe is going to just like making the church cool. I think that's like a different conversation. But when it comes to like the nice clothes they're wearing, the nice cars they're driving, they got book deals. They do speaking tours. Like they're making bank. But there's something about like, I just don't think it should be something that like a young person is like, uh, I want to become like a wise, profound church leader so that I can get some of that good bread. Mm -hmm. Like there's just something about that to, to me that is troubling. And I think also if we're talking about relevance to culture, Brene Brown is about as relevant to culture as any human being alive right now, at least (laughs) this Western culture. I have no idea what she's wearing on her feet. Like, no clue, and I don't think anybody cares. Because the power of her message is so deeply relevant to everyone who is seeking, like, how do I live a fuller life? How do I be more engaged in my relationships? How do I be a better friend? How do I be a better uh, husband or wife? Or how do I, like, relate to my kids? What, What is that? And she's just like, vulnerability, truth, be honest with yourself, boundaries, be honest with people in your life. Like, she is telling the truth, and the truth is relevant. That is such an excellent point. That really is, because I think that it does then call into question um, the use of that, you know, high, high end fashion, Mm -hmm. because you're right. I mean, Brene Brown is, 
is incredibly relevant right now and her message again like you said i'm just copy i'm just restating because i thought it was so good like, <laughs> the truth will always I'll, be the i'll truth cut out will... when when dan said it and good so i'm gonna yeah, get yeah, yeah, ready yeah, yeah, yeah. for a yeah okay truth, so. you had you had some thoughts on Brene Brown? i did i did <laughs> okay. and listen guys spitballing here i think the truth will always be relevant um god that's good <laughs> wow uh, well thanks so much for being here with us. <laughs> this was a great our final thing that we always like to wrap up on with oh, each no. guest because it can take so many different ways so this is open to interpretation um, celebrity crush yeah yeah okay who is your celebrity crush Lana Del Rey next uh, do, yeah do you have a, do you <laughs> and your wife the do you and your wife have a hall pass yeah uh, <laughs> oh really is that no, actually that the question, that oh, okay. the question. <laughs> but it should be uh, um, the question is if you could communicate with uh, human beings at large or with the audience anything you feel about faith or God or whatever that may mean to you, something that you feel is, you know, a lesson you've learned or something you just experienced to be true or valuable that you would like to share with with the public. Ooh. Okay, so just something really light. Um, yeah. Yeah, just something yeah, super just, easy. I, I would say um, we are all deeply flawed. We're going to mess up and to be alive you will hurt people and people will hurt you um and to own up to that and to be willing to grow and recognize your mistakes that's one two um tapping into our capacity for love um is something that is always inspiring for me in connecting with other people that that's always available to us we have this uh, amazing capacity for for love and and loving each other um and three that our time is shorter than we think our time is short so do the best that you can with the time that you have um is what i would say these are the things i think about three things for the price of one yeah, there sorry. Oh, yeah, Solid. that was just one. No, that I'm was sorry. perfect. That was perfect. Beautiful. Thank can you. you. Can you tell people where uh, they can find Oh, uh, my name Grace is and... Grace Baldridge, and you can find me online with that name. Uh, and I uh, host a show on Refinery29, and you can find it on their YouTube page, and it's called State of Grace. When you person in your car, go ahead and Google ah. the <laughs> Refinery29 right now. Do it. In your Prius. On the 405. <laughs> yeah. We know you. Yep. We know you're texting anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Grace, thanks so much for coming thanks on for and giving us so guys. much of your time. Thank yeah. you. I'm happy to do it again. I feel like we just scratched the surface on so oh many things. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I could talk to you guys forever. This yeah. was a great talk. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks Appreciate for having you. me. Thanks, Grace.